During our journey of Lent, our way into joy, we have been looking at particular ways that we can find to enjoy our lives by enjoying the gift of God's life to us. The first week we looked at being truthful and honest with ourselves, and the second week we looked at forgiveness. Last week we looked at the issue of what we worry about, our anxieties, and finding peace of mind. This morning we're looking at the issue of keeping Sabbath rest. From that, I pray that our hearts and minds will be opened by the text given to us in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and as well, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 12. At the end of all God's creating of space after six days, the text says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female servants, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the word of the Lord. Yesterday morning, I woke up a little later than usual, about 7.15, because I had spent much of the Friday evening watching ACC basketball games. So I got up with a little anxiety, knowing I had a big agenda for the day. I get a little cranky when I have a big agenda and I can't get all my items done on my calendar. I knew I had to work on this sermon. It's probably five hours worth of work. I was going to try to grab something to eat quickly, maybe do an hour or so of yard work, and then try to go play golf, which I didn't get to do any other time this week, and, um, uh, and then come back and help uh, with Anita. I do less help and more uh, you know, encouragement, prepare dinner, and then eat together and then get ready for another basketball game last night, which, as you've already reminded me, did not turn out too well. Um, so uh, I was uh, really dead set on making sure that I met my agenda uh, and, and got all of my uh, issues done yesterday. And God forbid anything or anyone that inter- interrupted me. It's ironic that uh, I felt that way since this morning's text really calls that whole understanding of our managing our time into question. The fact is, if this text is right, and I believe it is, we cannot manage time at all. We think we use it or take it or 
you know, control it, uh, we, I don't have enough time. Uh, all the words that we use for it are words as if we have some control over it. But the fact is we cannot manage our time. What we can manage, in fact, is our space. All the things in our lives, the events in our lives, the stuff we own, what we do in that time. But we cannot manage time because time is a, a fixed point of eternity in the realm of God. And since we are not in that eternal realm of God, it is way beyond our ability to manage. Time, like an ever-flowing stream, bears all its sons away, goes the incredibly powerful hymn, flies forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. We are all, whether retired or working, whether working in the home or whether unemployed, overscheduled. We are always trying to manage that schedule, our time, the amount of time that we have each day, the amount of things that we get done. I'm saying it again. Time is unmanageable. Space is all we can negotiate with. This is not evident to us. In fact, we grow up thinking in a sort of grandiose fashion that we can manage our time. But in fact, it's just the opposite. And it takes a while and some wisdom for us to see it. When Anita and I traveled to France this past summer on sabbatical, what a joke, sabbatical. The sabbatical wasn't a joke, but it was my managing sabbatical that was a joke that my including every single thing I could even think of to plan as part of that sabbatical was a joke I was going to suck every single moment out of it that I could on this time of rest and sabbatical man my schedule was chock full that's the joke sabbatical so anyway we're in Provence and we have to come back to Paris for the last leg of the French journey, and so we'd planned to to take a fast train, a bullet uh, train from Provence to Paris, uh, just because it was cool. I mean, you you know, you're you're going almost 200 miles an hour through the countryside, and you can't even feel it. It's incredible. Uh, And as you look out the window, you see whirring past the landscapes and the towns, going so fast, it's unbelievable. I was able to take a couple of pictures. I set my S-stop fast enough to be able to take a picture and stop the action. And and as I was doing it, it struck me, philosophically at least, that's a really interesting phenomenon. This camera takes a moment in time of a particular space that will never, ever be the same in the future and has never been the same in the past. It stops everything for just that moment, that one particular moment. As I'm reflecting on this, thinking about how fast the landscape is whizzing by me, just so fast you can't believe it, it strikes me. That's exactly the way we understand time and misunderstand it. For you see, it wasn't the landscape that was moving, but me At 200 miles an hour, as I looked out, it looked like the landscape was moving as I was sitting still. I was the one moving as the landscape was sitting still. We do the same thing with time and space. 
It's the space that is always moving around us. Our bodies, our world, all the things and stuff. That's in movement. Time in its eternity is unchangeable. Take our worship together. We come in at 8.30 or 11 o'clock in the morning and we open up our order of worship. And this order is meant to manage our time together which it can't, of course. What it does is it manages our space together. We are gathered here in this wonderful sanctuary. Uh, The height and the length and the breadth of it, the three dimensions of space are all evident to us. We, the people gathered here in our own space, we all find our own peculiar little space in our pews that we've sat in religiously for the last 66 years. And, 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 And we open up our bulletins and look at the progression of time By the gathering as we come in, by the call to worship, by the confession of faith, by the moments on the steps, a lot happens on these steps. These holy steps. By the preaching of the word, by the singing of hymns, by the passing of the peace, all ordered in this order of worship. But what we're ordering is not time, but again, space. And we're claiming that this space together is holy space and that this time together is time set apart, hallowed, because it is holy too. Made holy, of course, by God. We do the same thing with our liturgical years. We're in Lent. It's purple. Advent happens to be purple too. Lent is the time of self-reflection, of slowing down and contemplating your life, what it looks like and what what you've been doing with it and how you would like to change it. The word is repent. Lent is that time of looking inside ourselves and then lifting it up to God for making it more holy too. That's a movement of space through time. And it's important for each of us, for every single season in the liturgical year, as is in life, is important. But not equally so. For sometimes are more important than others. Every one of us can tell the difference between a dog and a cat, right? But we're also called to tell the difference between a poignant moment in time and a more mundane moment in in time. It might be that we just can't see the poignancy in the mundane. That's fair, too. But I think some moments are more important than others. And the Bible seems to say that one of those moments is one-seventh of our week awake is spent, meant to be spent in Sabbath rest. Whether it's one full day or one-seventh of the totality of moments in the days, one-seventh of our waking time is meant to be in Sabbath rest rest. We try to shape time. We cannot. It's God's to shape. We try to conquer time. We cannot. It's God's to conquer. And if the Bible tells us anything, it's just that. It begins in the beginning. God shaping and managing time. And it ends at the end in Revelation with God ending time. And it begins, it begins with God in God's first act of creation. A division between the chaotic, really dark waters of the Tehum with no structure and no order at all. God's first order of creation on the first day is to bring time 
into creation by separating the night from the day and putting light into the process. And in that separation of night from day, time now exists and it is day one. Every single order of creation that follows is a sort of evolutionary sophistication uh, as God creates one more level of that sophistication. Second day, God creates the planet as we or they understood it then, a three-level tiered planet, which we've now learned was not exactly right, but that's how they thought. God created the planet. Third day, God creates the waters that separate the land from the sea and then grows vegetation on the land. Fourth day, God separates the moons from the planets and the suns and all the stars. And what we have then, you see, are not just the lights in the sky that illumine the day and time. Really, that's about seasons. The moons, the lunar seasons, the seasons where the sun is closer and the sun is further away. God creates time as seasons. Then, in even more sophisticated ways, on the fifth day, God creates reptiles and uh, creatures of the sea and the air. And then come on the sixth day, mammals and primates. And then finally, humans in God's image, in the male and female image of God, both blessing them, the text says. First time this word has been used, God blesses this day and those created in it. And what God creates them for is to have, the text says, have dominion over this space that God has created, which doesn't mean to own and use and use up. It means to be a steward of, to care for, to steward this creation, this management of space. That's what we were created for. And at the end of that, God says, at the end, it's very, very good. While before it was only good. And then you wonder how long the pause was after this incredible act of creation. After all had been created, God stopped and stepped back and looked and relished and enjoyed and even, I think, played in it. By the way, the understanding of wisdom is that wisdom is at play. This is God's presence. If the word is Jesus Christ, the wisdom is that presence of God at play in the world. The last day, the one thing that remained was the most important thing of all, the shaping and ordering of time so that six days a week we work in however way we do it, we work But at the last day, we rest. It is an order created into the order of all things. Hear it again. The heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done. The last day, God does three things. He blesses the day, he makes it holy, and he rests. It's known as the fourth commandment, by the way. If 
you look at it, is by far the longest and most detailed in terms of what we are required to do in order to follow it. Not only us, but animals, immigrants, even workaholics. It is not a suggestion, by the way. It is a commandment. It is a commandment. Commandment given to us in order to order our lives and culture and society. When we break the commandment, we pay a price. This may sound provocative, but I don't say this in order to be provocative. I say it because I firmly have come to believe it, mostly in my own experience in the negative sense, but also by looking around at our culture and society. When we break this commandment, I think, all H-E-L-L breaks loose. And I think in many ways, our not following the Sabbath commandment may be at the root of so much of our own disorder and chaos in our lives. I can go through all the reasons why. Even Truett Cathy has learned that giving his employees one day off ends up being even more productive than if they worked seven days, and all tests show that to be true, even with agriculture. I can go through all the materialistic and and personal reasons why it is more productive for us to rest more and take a Sabbath, but that's still sort of selfish. The real reasons why we are called to take Sabbath is because it is good for our souls, our spiritual lives. It, It feeds us to the core It gives us time to reflect about who we are, to step back from life and to look at things from a distance. It gives us time to do a little introspection, to take stock and to restore our souls and bodies. To keep the Sabbath means that we do not use that time for producing or managing or conquering or buying or owning or doing, or however other many ways we tend to manage stuff. Because when we do this, we begin to take ourselves way too seriously, thinking that, you know what, maybe we are God after all, and not God at all for the one who created things. And then when we do that, you see, in almost every case, that sort of prideful, actually we're in control of this stuff. We can manage all. When we do that, in almost every case, we do stupid stuff. God, we do stupid stuff. Maybe because we haven't taken time to step back and reflect. The culture, I think, is symptomatic of our Sabbath laws. Our narcissistic society doesn't understand this. We have become a push-button world, an instant gratification world, and it's taking its toll. Thirty years ago, Abraham Heschel saw this coming and wrote, There is happiness in the love of labor. There is misery in the love of gain. Even religions are frequently dominated by the notion that God resides in space, We say that we find God in our mountains, forests, trees, rivers, or in our worship spaces, our churches, our synagogues, chapels. These are our holy spaces, he says. 
When this becomes our expectation, then the question that we live with is, where is God? Where is God? It's a spatial question. Then God is going to be conceived of as a thing. The result of our obsession with space is that it blinds us to the completely other reality that is thing-less, space-less, and that reality is time. It is the sacred moments, the sacred nows that are ever-present if we can ever step back from our obsession with things enough to enjoy them. Things, when magnified, are forgeries of happiness, he says. We are more harassed than supported by the Frankensteins of spatial things. It is not a thing that lends significance to a moment. It is the moment that lends significance to the thing. I think we should probably take this very seriously. And it leaves me wondering, and I hope you wondering too, why we spend so much energy and time obsessing over the issues of things in church, like a particular belief system, or whether or not we should have an organ, or who should be married in a church and who shouldn't. All spatial questions, when in fact, I can speak for myself here, but probably for the rest of us, not one of us here lives fully into the commandment to keep the Sabbath as it was intended. And until we do that, until we do live fully into that commandment to keep the Sabbath, far be it for us to judge the spatial things in the world around us and claim them to be right or wrong. So maybe the commandment for us is is a way back into the presence of God's time before we start trying to order God's space. I'll admit I'm guilty more than all the rest. I I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. I'm, don't do what I say, do, uh, don't do what I do, do what I say. Um, When I was on sabbatical, as I said, I overscheduled everything until that one moment when on Vision Quest I had 50 plus hours of nothing but time on my hands Well, you can't really have time on your hands. Again, that's a misnomer. Time had me on its hands. Fifty hours, I cannot tell you how long time goes when you're stuck there with no distraction. And it occurred to me what a joke my sabbatical was in the planning of it. Because I was going to conquer it and use it and make it into what I wanted without really taking seriously the whole concept. And that was give myself over to the time, the presence of God. It came. Once took my family on a trip to Disney World. This is sort of a Steveism, a go-go Goyerism. And I had heard that the lines were long, and so I was going to beat the system. I bought a book that talked about every single step you must take in order to not stand in line. And the first thing it said was, get to the park early. Get through the door fast and run as fast as you can to Space Mountain because that's the longest line. When you leave Space Mountain, run over immediately to the water slide, step by step by step. I had it planned out on a sheet of paper. After Space Mountain, 
I'm running to the water slide. I notice my family's still behind me. They're not moving. They're watching me run. I come back and I say, what's going on? They mutinied. Dad, you can go all you want with that plan, but we're here to have fun. And that's not fun. And I was reminded one more time about living in the presence of things and not trying to control it. This gift of Sabbath is the way we enter into the presence of God. It is the true gift for us of time. Think about it. That we think about God always in terms of space, but think about God in terms of time. It changes the whole equation. No matter how much running we do, how fast our lives are, it's still vacuous unless we have this anchor of holy time. One day a week or one-seventh of our day, seven times. It's ours to revel in and enjoy and to experience. For the Sabbath gives us the window in time to glimpse the one who is the creator of all things, both space and time, but only, of course, if we are willing to slow down enough to enjoy it.